the teachers can be asked to differentiate what they do in the classroom to meet the needs of every student in their classroom. As coaches, can't we be asked to do the same thing? And that's differentiate what it is that we do uh, to meet the needs of every one of our players and, and therefore every one of our teams as well. Welcome to the Jamoti Podcast. We are all surrounded by amazing coaches and leaders. So let's get an inside look at not just what they do, but how they do what they do. After all, becoming the best versions of ourselves is Jamoti, just a matter of doing it. Today we're joined by the head boys basketball coach at North Crowley High School, Tommy Brackle. In 24 years as a head coach, Coach Brackle has 699 wins. His Panthers have had 23 20-win seasons, 23 playoff appearances, 20 district championships, and won a state championship in 2008. He won the UIL Excellence Award in Athletic Administration in 2013. In 2021, Coach Brackle was named one of the top 100 UIL boys basketball coaches of all time. Before we hear from Coach, take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media at Jamoti Podcast. What's up, Coach? Hey, Matt. How are you, sir? Oh, man, I am great. Thank you for giving up your time on a Sunday night to talk hoops with me. Always enjoy it. Yeah, did you, did you happen to catch the Cowboy game today? I did catch a little of that. What in the world? I'm not a huge Cowboy fan, so don't oh, get me started. So you're okay. Fact, you're... My, um, I'm from Fort Worth, Dallas area, and uh, my favorite team is whoever the Cowboys are playing each Sunday. <laughs> oh. well, I, yeah, I was okay with the results. Oh. I, I've, I've really never been a football fan, but living here long enough, there's something about the – I don't know, the cowboy culture that just without even realizing it, it gets its fingers in you. And then all of a sudden you just, I mean, your, your day feels a little worse after a loss like we had today, but I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things you, honestly, you either, because of that very culture, you either love them or hate them. Yeah, we could probably take a whole hour diving into why you hate them so much. But <laughs> uh, but just so you know, man, uh, one, I, I've I've been able to, uh, I've just been a fan of yours from kind of far away over the years. I loved watching your teams play. When I was at McKinney High School, uh, my it was my first year there. We had G.J. Villarino and a pretty good group. Yeah, you guys, I, remember you guys, I remember him and that group. Yeah, you guys came into the the McKinney Lions den, and it was a great game. But I, Coach Watson gave me control at, at, right from the very beginning of our offense. Right, And I remember after that game thinking – Golly, what th those guys and, and the 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 continuity that they had and how attacking they were. What what was it? What were they doing? So I started to research dribble drive motion and I got one of your packets and, and and learned from it. And it's been now 13 years later, I still run it. Uh, and so I just want to thank you for that being the inspiration for why we we me and Wes changed. You know that was um, that was a weird deal when we ended up putting that stuff in as there were so many different ways out there uh, to run dribble drive and, and stuff. And um, I mean, we just kind of had to come up with our own way. So we just took a little bit from everybody, um, kind of adapted it to what, you know, our personnel was able to do. And uh, we still, to this day, I mean, it's kind of the offense behind our offense okay. and a little bit more of a mentality than a true offense but um you know as far as attacking the rim and trying to get to the free throw line the free three key three uh stuff i mean we we still do that today regardless of what offense we're running 
Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, are you four out, one in when you're maybe traditionally going dribble drive or are you kind of moved out to something else? But like you said, the principles behind it are, yeah. are it's so effective for any offense that you run. Right. It really is. And, um, you know, so we've basically offensively started just running whatever we feel like will match our personnel. And I know that's not the traditional way to do it as far as, um, you know, when you start talking about vertical alignment with middle schools and stuff like that. But our area is so transient right now anyway mm-hmm. um, to base things, you know, on, hey, this is the way we do it. And we're going to start teaching it in seventh grade and all the way up. We really don't do that anymore. We've got some core values um, that we believe in and, um, you know, that we're going to stand fast with those. But as far as what offense we're running or or what defense, I mean, we're really going to base it around uh, the personnel that we've got because who knows if the personnel that we think is coming is ever going to make it here or what might be here by the time that graduating class gets up to be seniors anyway. I think there's a lot of genius in that and being so flexible from year to year. And I would imagine those junior high coaches appreciate it because you're right. What is working for your varsity or has worked in the past, that seventh grade group, it just, it might be a completely frustrating year if, and they may even feel like they're letting you down or that there's some kind of disconnect if they're trying to do something that just doesn't fit. So that makes a lot of sense. So that's kind of, that's kind of where we are. Um, you know, with our offensive stuff right now, we, for a few years, we ran some spread motion stuff, Underwood, and um, we're actually looking at some one four high stuff this year that we've really been working on. But whatever it is, the dribble drive mentality and the just dribble drive four out one in is what we are going to, that's going to always be our offense behind the offense. That's awesome. And so I, I know you've heard this, the, the culture word thrown around so much. But you know, twenty eight years. Uh, you're twenty eight years, correct? Yes, sir. Your experience, yeah. I mean, twenty eight years, and, and and the culture that you've created there. That even as you alluded to before, you can tweak and shift some things. Uh, what's something that is your favorite activity or or a way that you build that culture year in year out? Right, and you know, Matt, I, I don't know that culture necessarily. I mean, it can be just like anything else. And I'm really big into differentiating our education or what I say, differentiating our coaching as well. If the teachers can be asked to differentiate what they do in the classroom to meet the needs of every student in their classroom, as coaches, can't we be asked to do the same thing? And that's differentiate what it is that we do uh, to meet the needs of every one of our players and, and therefore every one of our teams as well. And so there are lots of little things that we do that I think helps promote culture um, and that I really like. But with each team, it's a little bit different. And, you know, some teams like each other naturally and they like doing things together off the floor. Others, um, you know, not so much. And so maybe that year that it's not so much, uh, the culture is, is team building and, and going to football games together and having a tailgate party or going to support the volleyball team or, you know, just all kinds of little things. This year, we had a little uh, pregame tailgate to where they had a, a 2K uh, game, you know, tournament beforehand. Nice. Um, you know, other years, it may be that maybe we're trying to build trust with them. I mean, from the staff to the players, and maybe we're doing some little team building exercises 
Um, you know, I love what Shaka Smart, some of his team building stuff that he's done. Um, I mean, we've had scavenger hunts and we've had, you know, puzzles hidden throughout the, the locker room where, you know, the kids all signed copies of the schedule. And we had our trainer and our principal and teachers and everybody else sign that schedule and turn the schedule into a puzzle. And, you know, scattered it throughout the locker room and they had to go back and tape everything together. And, and then there's one piece missing. Well, that one piece happens to be in my office. And the point to that exercise is that we need everybody to complete the puzzle, uh, whether it's teachers, whether it's administrators, uh, whether it's them as players, our managers, everybody else, that the, the game and the team success is bigger than you. And, um, you know, so who knows what each year's team needs, but I think the recognition that we have as coaches to be able to differentiate the needs, uh, to meet the needs of those teams is the most important thing. Uh, that really impresses me. I, I think maybe even going into this talk without ever having uh, a, much, a deep one-on-one -on -one conversation with you, knowing your history and the success, I might I just have thought that you just have almost a script of what you do from year to year and things. But I love hearing the fact that uh, it, it's all, even with your offensive scheme from year to year, it's all dependent on uh, your players and their needs and where they're at. Yeah, and Matt, that's an area that I've really had to change, um, you know, over the years. And I know we may end up discussing that a little bit later. Um, but you can't, I, I don't personally feel like that you can just have this script that you follow year in and year out. and you know, when I first got into coaching, I didn't necessarily feel that way. But that's kind of where that I've evolved. Uh, 28 years coaching total between Crowley High School and North Crowley. This is the 24th year that North Crowley has been open. And, uh, you know, I've just found myself changing a lot over the years. Well, at what point did that flexibility come from, you know, maybe thinking you figured it out and you know exactly what you want to do every year to now you you have the ability to to try things out and dabble. And you know what? That didn't work this year, but no problem. We'll we'll try something else. Well, at what point in your career, and like you said, we might get to it later on, but just it's just popping here. Where did, when did that happen for you? Having personal kids mm -hmm. and having personal kids that got to the age um, to where I'm, I'm viewing things as a parent. I was always able to view things as a high school player, as a college basketball player, as a college grad assistant, as a freshman coach or a JV coach or a varsity coach. But I don't think I ever came full circle at getting the big picture until I had kids of my own that got old enough to know that when a coach changes a schedule, you know, at the last minute or when, you know, they- <laughs> How inconvenient fall. it actually is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just learn so many things when you are having to, um, you know, be on that parental end of it. And I think that along the way and through plenty of failures of my own over the years, um, and, and, you know, just being to an area where you, you go back and you review everything you do annually and to still not think that you've got, and, you know, I think when you start thinking that you've got everything figured out mm. and you're not going back and assessing every single year, what was successful, what worked, what didn't work. I think that's when you can get left behind in the game. If you're not careful. It's so funny that you said that about becoming a parent. My, my son is a, is a freshman now at faith and playing and he'll be play JV for us. And, 
my wife came to me. So I, I don't know about you. I like, I like their uniforms, socks, shoes. I like them looking the same. But a few years ago, uh, one of our best players didn't like Nike. It just didn't feel good on his shoes. So I, I went to, okay, well, it's just got to be mainly white with our school colors being the secondary colors, thinking that's fair. Everybody gets, and my wife said, you know, Matt, do you, do you know, we're trying to find these shoes. Do you know how hard it is? to find the shoes that you're asking. And it was that light bulb moment of now being on this other side of it. Oh, okay. So uh, let me ask you this, like shoes, things like that. You stubborn about things like that or, or. It just really depends on the area. Um, you know, we used to be, there was going to be no sleeves, no, um, you know, shorts that look different uh, under shorts for everybody else. Nike has helped out with that a little for us. Um, we're part of the Nike high school elite program. And so they give us pretty strict guidelines of what you can do and what you can't do as far as uniforms. Um, I have tried to, and I run it past my assistant coaches who are much younger than me because uh, you know, my, my initial thing is, man, we are all going to look exactly alike. We're all going to walk into the gym. I love that uniform look. Yep. I love everything about that. But, you know, I always, with all of my assistant coaches, I've got three guys on the staff that have played for me at one point or another, which is great. Um, you know, they really understand the way that our kids think. And so we're constantly, you know, just bouncing ideas off of one another. Now, part of that goes is that once I've made a decision, uh, you know, then they're going to they're gonna support whatever that decision is. But um, I, I definitely want to listen to them and get feedback from them, um, you know, anytime that we're coming up with those types of decisions. You know, I've I've had the opportunity to speak with some amazing coaches, you know, just in the short time that I've been doing this. And there is a reoccurring theme that I keep hearing throughout. And it's and you mentioned it a second ago. You said at the end of every year, looking back over and analyzing what you're doing, the why and the how behind it. I just think it's it's just something to point out that you're saying something that so many coaches are saying, but I don't know if I'm that good at that. At what point? You know, in your career, did you start every year really going back over everything? And I know you just said when you had your kid, any other times? Well, I mean, I, I think I really, looking back, tried to be reflective throughout my varsity career. There were so many guys, and, and I think I told him this the other day, but a guy like Chris Dyer that's at DeSoto. Chris Dyer was a mentor of mine, and he didn't even know he was a mentor mm -hmm. of mine. I was just watching his program. I was watching his program, certain guys that I had a lot of respect for, their programs were successful, the way they carried themselves, the way their teams um, acted on and off the floor when we would go to these, you know, big tournaments and stuff like that. And so I think being reflective is something I've always tried to do, um, you know, getting beat, I think it was four or five straight years in the regional quarterfinals before we finally punched through and made it to a regional tournament. That helped. You know, I mean, you know, just being having to step back and look and go, why aren't we getting over the hump? Mm. Um, you know, I think that is an extra little uh, kick in the backside to maybe be reflective. But, you know, I think that I started that at a, at a young age uh, because I never really felt like that I did know it all by any means. And I had so much respect for the profession, for some of the guys in the pers uh, profession. And the next thing you know, I'm looking around and, heck, I'm not one of the new guys anymore. And so at that point, then I tried to start, um, you know, not only being still to this day reflective of everything that we do on an annual basis, 
but also to try to get that message out to as many of the young coaches as I possibly can, um, you know, to be reflective, to, you know, try to view everything through the eyes of a parent, through yeah. the eyes of a leader, of a mentor, of other coaches, you know, and, and I think that that's been a big part of where I am right now as well. That's a great point and a great reminder for every coach out there, but especially, like you said, we want our players to acknowledge the fact that they don't know everything, that they, they, we want them to be lifelong learners, students of the game, but we have to remember to do that too. And, and as a young coach, I think I definitely was on the side of, you know what, I've got this figured out already. Uh, and, and golly, it, it doesn't take long for you to figure out, no, you don't. And, no, you don't. And, but, but great reminders from a coach like you. Coaches, the Jamoti podcast is powered by Biology. What's your BSA score? The Biology Skill Assessment is the only verified skills metric endorsed by the NIA and NJCAA to discover and develop the best talent for your team. This 10-minute, 100-shot test can be taken for free today on the Biology mobile app. Elevate your game. So talking about culture and, and, and how powerful it is, how does it drive performance uh, in, in your program? Well, I mean, I think that a culture um, is always going to drive performance to a certain extent. And, you know, I hope our culture starts from the top down. And I want to show every one of our kids that, you know, I'm, I'm the hardest working guy they know. So that when I'm asking them to put in all of this extra time and effort and, you know, everything that we're asking them to sacrifice to be a part of our program, that they see me and, and my staff sacrificing the exact same thing. And I think when you are able to create a culture of commitment and work ethic and loyalty to one another, uh, stuff like that, that I think you're leading by example. And so, therefore, they're going to see that. Um, another thing that, you know, very rarely would, I mean, I'm not ever going to undermine anything that my coaches are saying throughout the course of a practice, because I want to see the, I want our kids to see us all on mm. the same page. So if I ever, you know, there's a million different ways to do things the right way, you know, that. Yeah. And so, I mean, just take the way we're guarding the post. Um, I mean, if I had a, a coach that was out there, maybe teaching it a way that was a little bit different than how I wanted to teach it, um, you know, I mean, I, we would either handle it in the office, you know, after practice and make sure that we were all on the same page. Or if I felt like I needed to stop it right then, it might would be just stopping it, complimenting the coach at, you know, hey, that's a great way to do it. But let's look at it this way. You know, I, so there are certain things, whether it's work ethic, whether it's you know, us all being on the same page and being committed to the same goals, whatever. I just think that that culture and what they see um, from the coaching staff and their culture is extremely important. I can imagine just from what you said that at your practices, your voice isn't the only one being uh, that you hear out there, that you've created an environment where your assistant coaches feel uh, comfortable, they're confident in teaching. And, and I love the fact that, like you said, if there is something different, it's either going to be addressed before or it's going to be addressed together after, but never in front. Uh, on your With your staff, how much are you meeting with them, you know, uh, uh, daily or throughout the season? Because from a public school to a private school, the amount of time that you get with your staff might be different. So what's yours look like? 
Well, I will tell you this, is that I've got a group of uh, men that are completely committed to the profession and completely committed to our success. So we put in a ton of hours and it's not always, um, you know, something that every staff can do. I mean, a lot of staff share a lot of coaches who may be football first, basketball second, or, you know, may have another love or, you know, family commitments and stuff like that. And we try to honor that family time as much as we possibly can. But we also like spending time together. And, you know, so we're constantly uh, meeting and talking. Um, another area that's kind of, I think that I have gotten better in over the years is using technology to do those sort of things as much as we mm. possibly can. I mean, we put our practices, every single practice we have on a Google Drive, and we've got that uploaded the morning before our practice. My coaches that, you know, are on the defensive side of the ball or offensive side of the ball, they have input in that practice schedule. And I feel like that that input and them really feeling that they can get out there and coach, man, that gives them so much more buy-in to the success of each and every practice that we have. But those Google Drives and those documents that, you know, you can kind of use, um, you know, that are kind of real-time documents. So as they're making changes or as I'm making changes, they know exactly what's going to go on in our practice before they ever step foot in our practice. So that's a form of communication as well. Would you mind sharing one of your practice uh, practices with me just so I can see your format and how you do things? No, I absolutely love that right now, Matt. That's one of my favorite things right now. So when I spoke for USA Basketball or, uh, you know, at Nike Clinics and stuff like that, um, I, I'm really into right now practice scheduling. Uh, matter of fact, one of the last clinics I did was best practices for best practices. And I'm about to do another one for BSN here um, in the next couple of weeks. And it's it's on that same thing. I just mm. absolutely love that. Whenever we do not have a good practice, uh, man, I take it personally. I think it's, I, I, it can't ever be the kid's fault. Uh, my goodness, why didn't I see that coming? Um, I should have designed practice a little bit different because I knew where their legs were, or I knew, you know, that we were off the day, you know, just whatever it is. Um, I am really, really into uh, practice schedules right now and, and the organization of practice. And um, I just absolutely love that piece of it. I'm an awesome. open book. I don't mind sharing anything with anybody. Like I said, whether you want to call it borrowing, sharing, stealing, whatever. <laughs> I mean, none of my stuff I came up with on my own. I've just, I've just have loved the game and loved growing in the profession and loved the opportunity to take just little bits and pieces of things that I've been able to witness over the years and just putting them into our program. Every clinic that we've went to, um, you know, I mean, I, I don't sit there like I was when I was 22 years old and take down every note and everything else, but I'm constantly listening and I'm constantly saying, you know what, I like that. But in our practice, if I tweaked it this way, it would fit even better. You know, I mean, and and just those constant little adjustments that you can make to the things that you do to make your program even better. Yeah, I think there's something you said right there that's pretty great is, you know, obviously going in with a, a mindset of there, I can learn something from anyone that's speaking to me, but I can't use everything. And so no, try to, and if you try to use everything, then sometimes it'll be too much. Yeah. And, and then you'll find yourself constantly changing and maybe even getting away from your core values. But one of the, I mean, I've been to football practices 
and picked up stuff from football practices. Heck, I, I had an opportunity to go and speak at a clinic in Australia. I went to an Australian uh, football practice, Australian rules football practice. And it was just great. And the tempo and everything that they practiced with and everything else, I'm out there taking down notes and how can I switch that to our gym and our basketball practices? So, uh, you know, you can, you can learn from so many different areas, um, you know, and then if you're looking at things as you're going to professional developments or as you're watching podcasts or as you're attending a college practice or whatever, if you're just putting it through the lens of how does this work in our program, then you can be beneficial uh, with everything that you do. How do you live out your culture on a daily basis? Again, I, I hope that living out the culture on a daily basis starts from the top down. I think, um, you know, that if they see how committed and how much I love this program and, you know, whether it's being in dress code when I go back up into the building or, you know, the way I speak to teachers, um, you know, the way that we carry on our practices. We talked about, you know, best practices for best practices. Well, one of the things we always try to do is always have a practice schedule out and post it for them and the gym clean and our equipment out. And again, everybody has different schedules and different expectations for them professionally throughout the course of the day. I get that. But I don't ever want our kids to come into one of our practices or get on the bus going to one of our games and think that we have done anything less than preparing um, as much as we possibly could for that practice, for that game. And so I think if that's going to be the culture that I want, then they need to see that from me and from our staff first. How do you go about, because I, I can see it from you and and what from watching from far away that uh, you're, yeah, you're the real deal. Like what you're saying right now, that like you really live it out. You're really uh, this way from day to day. How do you get your teenage leaders, your teenagers on your team? You know, they your assistant coaches will follow you and they will then your players are watching, too. But uh, how do you enable them uh, to to lead and follow your culture as well from day to day? I think part of that is understanding that. You know, all of all of the things that we try to provide for our kids, they're all a process. They all start at a different level. Um, some may be coming from two parents. I mean, I've had Taylor Luster, who played for me, whose dad was as assistant coach at, at TCU, and um, Kelvin Lewis, uh, whose dad was an assistant coach at TCU, and Neil Doherty, whose dad was the head coach at TCU. I mean, some of those guys have come in with natural leadership abilities. Mm. Other leaders that we've had, you know, maybe didn't understand what leadership even was. So again, differentiating what you provide for each of these kids is the same as differentiating what you provide for your leaders. And some of them are trying really hard to be great leaders, just don't have any idea how to do it. So I think it's even recognizing where your leaders are and having helping them understand what leadership really is. And so having individual talks with them, having small group talks with them, if you've got a small group that, you know, you're really looking at leadership from, um, you know, and just helping them understand what leadership truly is. And I'm really big on leading by example first. And so whether that's me and my staff or whether that's our, our team captains, our team leaders, um, you know, that, that they understand that before you can start verbally trying to lead anybody else, you better be leading them by example first. And that's, that's just me and my own personal 
thoughts on leadership, but, um, you know, just understanding that leadership is a process just like their maturation process or their, how, the, how they're getting better at, at, you know, honing their skills of basketball is it, that you can't expect them to be there. You have to understand that it's a process and you're constantly trying to move that needle of leadership as well. Yeah, I think it's interesting to look at leadership that way. I mean, with shooting, uh, everybody understands that it's a process. You start at one point and then you work really, really, really hard and you grow, but it's slow and sometimes painful. It's not just quick and easy, but I think sometimes I, I've fallen short there as I, I expect, you know what, here's my, what I define leadership as guys, you got to get there. You got to get there. And, and then it might, maybe my temper, my expectations are unrealistic for how they are moving towards becoming the leaders that I that we can see you know, or we, we think they could be. So great reminder that even in leadership, uh, it, it will take time and it's gradual, but we just have to be, like you said, we have to be consistent ourselves and make sure we're, we're given the example, but, you know, give them players time to get there. Yeah. And I think, you know, and again, just another area to be reflective on, you know, are you developing good leaders in your program? And if not, what can you change? What can you do to help develop them? Um, you know, are, and, and we talked about differentiated um, coaching. Well, I mean, you may have to differentiate how you're trying to get your leaders there from year to year. Coach Butterfield at UTD, I, I was fortunate uh -huh. enough to, to talk to him. And he has a really cool uh, concept of uh, a leadership group. And it's a, it's a group of three or four guys that he chooses every year. And it's almost as if he, he communicates to the group. And then that group is really in charge of making sure culture and communication and, and, and the vibe of the team, the locker room, and everything's going in the right direction. Do you have anything with, you know, maybe it's, it's every year with captains or with a group of leaders that, that you have in place or that you do? Uh, you know, again, or is it by feel? Know. Is it by yeah, feel? It really is. It's yeah. really by feel and trying to feel what that group of leaders um, needs from me to help their leadership be even better. Um, some of it's very natural and it's easier to kind of set back and just watch and see where they may need growth as a leader. Um, you know, other areas, I mean, this year. I yeah, mean, I, I was going to I was going to ask you about this <laughs> year with a younger group. It might be you taking a little bit more control and showing them how to lead and, and taking the reins until you feel comfortable or, or they, they get it a little bit more. Yep. And, you know, I, and again, some things work for some teams, uh, you know, some years and yeah. other things don't. One of the greatest ideas uh, that, and we've done it periodically in the past is having leadership pods and breaking down three or four areas that's important uh, for you as a coach to have good leadership in that locker room in. And it might be a leadership pod that's over team discipline and what the expectations are. And now we're riding, we're riding. That pod is riding standards, you know, team standards, uh, gold medal standards, if you mm -hmm. will. Um, another one might be, you know, getting out and, and participating and doing things in the community. And so you have a community service pod. That's, you know, with a leader of that pod and, you know, just the different things that might be important to you um, and, and some of your core beliefs, core values um, as a head coach. And that that's always a great idea if you have the right locker room and the right team to do that with. I loved that idea. We've done yeah. that several years. The Jamoti podcast is powered by Sideline Interactive. 
Sideline Interactive is the leading manufacturer for high quality, innovative scoring tables and LED video display boards that help coaches and schools bring more excitement to fans, create huge fundraising opportunities, and make their jobs easier. Visit sidelineinteractive.com to check out their amazing products. Uh, we're talking about culture right now and, and you know social media, whether we like it or not, it's a big part of culture. And our players are on it. Uh, they're, they're watching things. I, I was listening to a podcast years ago, and the guy said, if you're a coach and you're not, you're not actively using, or if your program's not actively using social media to, to uh, celebrate your, your, your players, your program, then you're behind. So I try to get more active with it. But what way do you, you use social media or someone in your program use it to enhance your program? Yeah, and we've tried to stay on the front end of that as much as we possibly can. And whether you're considering it social media or not, but, you know, it was probably about eight years ago or so that we started our very first practice was a media day. And, you know, we would invite, you know, whether it was social media type media guys or whether it was print media or school media or whatever, but we would invite them all into our practice and make a big deal of that first practice of the year and take all of our team pictures that were needed for programs and, you know, just really make that day special um, for our varsity. And, and in the same breath, getting a lot of that stuff knocked out that you <laughs> yeah. typically need to do. But then we would take those pictures and take those things that we did and we would, um, you know, use those pictures for our different social media posts, whether it was, you know, that's so popular right now at advertising game night or whatever mm -hmm. and a picture of a kid and who you're playing and the time and all that. Well, you know, we, we started that, you know, some time ago um, of really trying to promote as much as we possibly could out there on social media um, and just doing things that way. Um, another thing that we have done that I feel like was kind of cutting edge when we started it, but uh, a lot now a lot of people are doing it. And that was, um, you know, podcasting our games. Well, everybody started podcasting them after, you know, we started going through all of the COVID stuff and fans mm -hmm. couldn't come to games in some areas and stuff like that. But we started the podcasting um, and it was radio podcast originally, uh, but then we moved into the audio video part of it and stuff like that. And um, we did that originally because we thought it was a great opportunity for our kids to get chances to do public speaking yeah. and, you know, and, and to put on a, a headset after a game and to have somebody ask them questions about the game. Uh, we thought it was great for them. And then, you know, we found out we were having people from out of the country and definitely out of the state that were watching our games and stuff and how much it meant to a grandma in Iowa you know, to be able that couldn't come to the games to be able to sit and watch our grandson play. So there wow. were so many little extra things that we didn't necessarily see coming um, that that were great things about podcasting our games. Um, you know, getting kids that were over at the CTE center um, of ours involved in possibly the production of those games. That, that's what I was. I wanted to lean into that a little bit of uh, because. Yeah, I mean, broadcasting live and especially with people commentating and doing everything. Yeah, you, you were doing that way before uh, and with Huddle now and things like that, making it so easy to go from the camera to YouTube live. But to have that 
the audio piece and where you're, it's like you're watching a college game and you're having people talk about it. And I love the idea of your players interviewing because that's a life skill, you know, it, it, not just in basketball, but the ability to speak clearly in front of you. Yeah, that's huge. How are you going about getting people to, to do the the broadcast, set that up, all that stuff? Because, man, I'm looking, thinking back, I even think you had a crew come to our gym back in the, at McKinney. Probably so. We started do that. Yeah, we started it way early. And, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, kind of helped out was being friends with the director of technology here in Crowley ISD and kind of sharing my vision with him. And then there was a mutual friend of ours, Brian Benton, who also does all of the PA stuff at our home games. He, he works at Lockheed, but just loves basketball. He was a, a manager out at, in North Carolina under Dean Smith and oh, stuff wow. like that. So he just loves it. And so we kind of lucked into a lot of it, um, you know, as far as just having a vision and the things that we felt like would be really important for our kids. Heck, Matt, we even do a coaches show every Wednesday night. And, um, you know, but – I trust me, I've got better things to do on Wednesday night than to, um, you know, have a coach's podcast, but it's just so good for our kids. And, you know, when we're done with it, we'll talk to them about it afterwards. Hey, what did they do well? What are some areas, you know, that they could do a little bit better? And we're going to have you back on and, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I think the opportunity for them to do some public speaking or to do a post-game interview. Matt, you you know as well as I do, they're not all going to go play at Texas Tech like Norrence Odiasi did and have the opportunity to be interviewed by, you know, every media company there was at the Final Four. Um, but, you know, when I talked to him about it up in Minneapolis, I mean, he just said, he said, you know what a big deal it was that I already felt comfortable doing that wow. when I went into my first interviews at Texas Tech and stuff. And, um, you know, so just little feedback like that, um, the affirmations from some of the ex-players about making them feel special and giving them an opportunity to do things, um, you know, that would be like it would be in college for them um, was, was enough for me for sure. See, I, I think I think you've really hit on 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 something special there is the the culture and the program. So a lot of times when you hear those words, you think of the coaches and the players. But it, it seems to me like you've really involved more members of the school, the community, the parents, the families, to where like your program, there's a lot of people that are invested and in like you you've used the word vision that really see your vision and enjoy being a part of it. And I think that's aspiring for someone like me that sometimes looks around and is like, man, why aren't more people wanting to get involved with this or as pumped about this as I am? Well, maybe I need to look at myself. Okay, what opportunities am I creating for people to come and be a part of the vision? Yep, and a T-shirt here and there and a, or a polo or, you know, just a, a pat on the back. A lot of times, and, you know, I'm, I'm really big, Matt, in, you know, value. I think one of the greatest human needs is for us all to feel valued, you know, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, to the success of something bigger than ourselves. But far too often as coaches, sometimes we miss the boat with that. And, you know, we're giving value to your best player, your leading scorer, your best defender, you know, your team captains, whatever. How much value do you give, you know, the kid that's up there filming for you? How much value do you give your your student 
athletic trainers. Heck, your adult professional athletic trainers, your yeah. janitor, your, you know, all of the people in your program uh, or, or that help your program um, on a daily basis that maybe wouldn't feel value otherwise. I mean, sometimes just, you know, your words can mean a whole lot. And I think that builds culture as well. You know, you talked about parents and you asked, you know, did was there ever a time that I really felt a change? Well, Matt, I'll be honest with you. I mean, there was a time I had my shoulders, you know, thrown back and I used the term that or the phrase that, hey, well, if they want my job, they can go get, you know, their teaching certificate and they can come take my job if they feel like that they know it, you know, what they're doing better than me. I'm, or, or how about this one that so many coaches use? I'll, I'll talk to a parent about anything but playing time. Yeah. I mean, OK, but what if that's what they want to talk about? why wouldn't you talk to them about playing time? Why, you know, I mean, you may end up agreeing to disagree, but just shutting that door and shutting down that avenue, all they're going to do, if it's important to them, is tell you they want to talk about the academics or tell you they want to talk about whatever, but it's going to come back. At least they're honest about what they want. Johnny playing more, (laughs) you know, or, or why? But once you've been able to see it through a parent's lens, Mm. You get it a little bit different. And, um, you know, or if if as a coach, you have the maturity or the experience, even if you haven't had kids that have gotten to that level and you've experienced as a parent, that you can step back and you can say, you know what, as a parent, I would get that. And that, you know, you let that kind of drive the decisions that you make within your program. So I think I've I've fallen into the trap in the past here at grapevine faith we're a small private school 350 kids and i look at a school like yours a program like yours with the people resources you know and and traditions that but those traditions have have taken years to create you know i understand that those things take time and 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 success but the culture that you built any advice so i got to get past any thinking of like we can't do that here. So my, it, with the idea that why not here, can you give me some advice or maybe another coach that's brand new to a school or, or thinks that they can't create something like with, uh, with your game productions, with people that uh, are, 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 you know, obviously your manager filming it, but you've got people that are broadcasting it, doing the audio, things like that. Any advice on like, how do you get something like that rolling? Who would you reach out to if you were, at even and maybe think at a smaller school and it might be difficult to 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 answer that but what what do you got and i think it's just like everything else i think it's you hear an idea and then you put it through the lens of your program of your school of your community of whatever it is that you're trying to build because what worked for me i mean there may be a small school or whatever they don't have a cte center or you know people that are already there or a director of technology that you just happen to be friends with but there are all kinds of resources out there if you step back and you think okay well this is my vision who can i get excited to help me with that vision i mean it may be somebody in the school that 
you know, you didn't even realize had a background of yeah. that. And they would absolutely love to do that. And then also, you know, building some capacity in the people around you so that if that one person, you know, decides I just can't do this anymore. Well, I've got two or three more that we've had on as uh, guests, you know, on our shows or whatever. And, you know, again, the more people that you can make feel valued to the success of your program, then the more it's going to grow that culture, the more that it's going to that culture and those traditions that you talked about are going to still be there. I try to do everything that I do. That when Tommy Brackle decides that he's not going to be, um, you know, the head basketball coach at North Crowley anymore, or I guess if somebody were to decide for me, um, you know, that the tradition and all of those things that we've created have are able to be carried on. It's not about Tommy Brackle, that it's not about any particular staff, that it's about what we've created and, you know, that, that it can it can survive year to year. Tell me a little bit about your your coaching show on Wednesday nights, just who who does that and and how long and what what is what's it about? Yeah, I mean it's just about thirty to forty minutes. Um, that Brian Benton hosts it, and again a, a good, but he's developed into a good friend of mine. You know, he just started out, uh, stumbled across, and he just said, "Hey, I you know I live in the area. I'd love to be a part of your program. Do you have anybody that?" Um, you know, that, that's doing the PA for your games. And and initially, if I remember right, we kind of broke him in as just that capacity and that extra help. And, I mean, the next thing you know, our friendship is developing. Heck, he goes and coaches our fall league teams now. Uh, he's on our coaches group me. He is, um, you know, in every part of communication. And that just gives him such value to our program and the success of our program, but it also, when he's in that coach's show or he's doing a post-game interview, he has inside information on our program that he's able to share with those parents and share with anybody that might be listening. And so answering your question specifically, it's about 30 to 40 minutes. I mean, we just get on there and, and just talk. And he's got, you know, some questions that he likes to go through. We kind of balance it out between true basketball type questions and just having fun with the kids. Um, you know, he, he may ask them some crazy questions that has have them thinking outside the box and seeing if they can think on their toes. I mean, always around Thanksgiving, he's asking them what their favorite Thanksgiving meal is and what their favorite dessert is. And then, you know, he uh, being a food connoisseur himself, you know, he's quick to tell them where they're wrong, and, you know, <laughs> but just to get them talking and to get them feeling comfortable with a headset on yeah. and a mic, um, you know, and I think he does an incredible job with it. Thank you for sharing all that. And I think, I think what you, you did is you uh, helped me to, or encouraged me to continue to dream uh, about and, and really, and think bigger, think bigger about our program and about what it could be and what we could do here. I think, I think, you know, after a few years or it, it's just really easy to start to um, just to look inward towards, I just got to take care of those kids that are just around me. And, and, and I don't know, I just, I, I really, that what you just shared, uh, really helped me inspire me a little bit. Well, Matt, I'll, I'll tell you this. You know, I heard this one time when I was asked to go out to Sol Ross State University in Alpine, Texas and play basketball. And, you know, I was coming out of junior college and had played against the Larry Johnsons of the world and, and, um, 
you know, just all of these great future NBA type players, John Barry, stuff like that. And the Soul Ross coach, uh, Roger Grant, sold me on it. He said, you know what Broccoli said? I just want you to think of it this way. The big time is where you're at. And so I think that that has kind of stuck with me over the years. Don't get caught up in what, you know, division you're playing in. If you're a D1 player, a D2 player, a D3 player, if you're at a large public school or a smaller private school, the big time is where you're at. Mm -hmm. And you can make it as big time as you want to make it, um, you know. And so I think that we here at North Crowley, um, since my very first coaches meeting, we have always wanted to make this as much like a college basketball program as we possibly could to make these kids feel extremely special at everything we do. And again, it goes back to one of your earlier questions. And it was, you know, how do you promote culture? How do you take that culture and let it, you know, turn into success of the kids on the court, um, you know, or more importantly in life after they leave our respective schools. But that's that's showing them how important that something is to you. And so when we are showing them it's important enough to, you know, have a post-game interview with them or, you know, stuff like that, I hope they don't take that for granted. I hope they, you know, they appreciate the fact that we're trying to make it as big time as we possibly can. How do you how do you go about you got a young team this year, but you've had a lot of great players come through and and like you've been saying, kind of a common thread throughout this whole thing is meeting players where they are. How do you build confidence in players? Uh, a lot of times at North Crowley, it's, it's trying to not let them be overconfident. Um, you know, we do, <laughs> we do little things, I mean, just all the time to make sure that they understand that, you know, that success is earned. It's not inherited. Um, now, tradition can be inherited. Um, there are lots of things that are that, you know, that they get. Nike contracts can be inherited, all of that kind of stuff, but just constantly preaching to them and teaching them the history that we've had here. Talked about that media day on the first day of practice that we have. Well, I mean, all of my ex-players are invited to that. And I mean, as we're practicing up and down the floor and we get a second, I'm introducing them to our ex-players and when they played and what their successes were after they left here. You know, I just want them to understand that the program is bigger than them. But by the same token, there are a lot of people that come in to North Crowley and I don't even know what it is. I mean, 250 something and 13 all time in this gym. I mean, just something just absurd like that. So sometimes people coming in here, they've already figured that they've got the loss before they ever walked in the doors. And so they can be a beneficial, you know, beneficiary of some of that past success as well. Yeah. But I'm, I'm that makes a lot of sense though, that you have to constantly uh keep the the right perspective that they're they're never as 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 after a loss or a bad day they're never as bad as they think they are but after a great moment they're never as great as they think they are either Matt I could not agree more and I think my coaches could have finished my assistant coaches could have finished that sentence for you I tell them all the time can't ride the roller coaster of a season it's you're never as good as you think you're never as bad as you think you can't get too high you can't get too low um, you know, I know one of the, the, one of the questions from your podcast that you like to ask is how do you, how do you coach, you know, kids the day after a game or yeah, let's go right into that. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a great way to look at it. I think if you don't take the opportunity to prepare every single practice, 
the way that you would prepare the practice the day after a loss, you're missing the boat. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't think it should change a whole lot. Now, you may be tweaking some things that you didn't do well in the game before and making sure that they're implemented in your practice. But if your practice schedule is all of a sudden coming out and it's all detail oriented and everything else because you lost, I think that's one of those things that maybe you're sending the wrong message to your team. Um, you know, so again, we talked a little bit about differentiated and, and whatever your particular team needs. Sometimes they may need a pretty good butt chewing after a game. Other times they may need to be picked up just a little bit. And I think it's, it's just recognizing uh, where your team is and the different parts of the season um, as to what to give, what to give them the day, the night after a game yeah. or the, uh, the day after a game and, and not letting them ride that roller coaster either making sure they understand hey look you're not as quite as good as you think you are sometimes that you know it takes a very very mature basketball team to win a game and still get better mm -hmm. most basketball teams want to get better after a loss because now there's that sense of urgency to fix what you needed to fix well it's a it takes a mature basketball team and a mature coaching staff to understand even after wins to still have that sense of urgency to fix the things that you need to fix and to be as efficient as with your time in practices and, you know, in meetings as you possibly can be. What a great reminder about the message that we might be sending our teams. If our, like you said, our preparation or our urgency changes after, oh, after a win, obviously, but more importantly, after a loss, like we really have to go back and uh, reevaluate what are the standards we're trying to set from the very beginning with our first meeting the first day if it if all of a sudden it it's different now or uh, if a playoff game all of a sudden requires more energy focus than than the beginning games we've missed the boat and as coaches we're not sending the right messages so that's a yeah, great reminder can, man we can definitely inadvertently send the wrong message to the kids um, not even intending to yeah. and and sometimes that's so natural and so easy to do as coaches. But again, you know, if you're sending that wrong message, then you're just promoting that roller coaster that they could be on of we're a little bit better than we really are. Or, hey, you know, we're not quite as good as we think we are. We want our kids even kill and understanding that it's a process and that we're going to continue to grow as a basketball team and as individual basketball players, hopefully on a daily basis. What's your process in selecting uh, JVs, varsities, freshman teams? What all goes into that for you? <laughs> that too has changed over the years. I used to have a pretty rigid um, look at it. That hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that varsity rotation first, um, and then if it's a sophomore and or a freshman that maybe isn't good enough to be in the rotation. Well, they need they need to be on our freshman team or they need to be on our JV plane. Um, well, OK, so why? So why do they need to be on your freshman or JV team playing? And I think you have to have a differentiated look at each one of those things as well. Some of these kids go out and play 60, 80 games a year during the summer. They don't need a whole lot of extra playing time. Would they mm -hmm. benefit more from being on your varsity and hearing your voice and seeing your expectations every single day? Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I think to just have some steadfast rules as to, you know, here's what we're going to do when selecting these teams. 
uh, again, you're not differentiating towards the individual needs of your team, your program, and those individual kids as well. So now we look at it with every single kid. Um, again, we still have some core values. You got to be careful about the number of juniors that you're going to keep on the JV or, you know, if, if you're bringing up a freshman and to play on the JV, but maybe not the varsity. Okay, well, does that take play in time away from a sophomore you're trying to develop or, you know, whatever. And to really just look on it, look at it, um, you know, on an individual basis. So we look at what's best for our varsity first. Um, and our varsity rotations specifically. And then after that, it's really looking at what's best for each individual kid. How, how do you typically go? Do you, do you have good results uh, uh, with some JV players sitting and practicing with your varsity, but still, because you mentioned a second ago, why did they have to just play on JV to get playing time? But have you had ex uh, good results or experience with that where you've got some guys that they're on your bench and they're practicing with you, but they're getting more time on JV. What what has been your experience with that? <laughs> My experience has been I don't have the answers for that. Yeah. Um, we've had success and we've had failures both ways. Um, we've taken a step back and been reflective and went, man, maybe that kid should have been on the JV. He just maybe he needed a little bit more floor time or playing time. We've had some, you know, great successes with saying that, hey, a kid coming up, maybe it was a year early for him, but now he's not on that roller coaster the next year of, you know, expectations or, or results that you're getting from him because he's already been through the process or maybe he doesn't burn out because you practiced six days a week, you know, for three and a half months, um, you know, and, and just ran out of juice three quarters of the way. Well, his body's been through the process. His mind's been through the process because he's experienced it already. And if not, you know, sometimes we'll even get transfers into our school that that first year, Man, they're they're all over the place as far as consistency with with their production, and we feel like that it's because our expectations, the time commitment, and everything that we put into it may be a little bit, you know, higher than where they're coming from. And um, you know, so I think that again, I don't know that there's any answer that you can just check off and go, you know, what that's the answer, and that's what I'm going to do. If if I felt that way, I'd tell you. I promise. Well, it. Honestly, though, that answer makes me feel really good is that from you that you don't you've had it go both ways and you don't really have a, a, a perfect answer for that, because I felt that way before decisions that my staff and I have made with the best intentions for that kid thinking of his development and the teams. It it just hasn't gone the way we we planned it. And and so that it's reassuring to me that, yes, I mean, the, the art of coaching is difficult. If you come across anybody out there that's figured it out, though, let me know. I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely still interested. Um, but, you know, I mean, you're even turning into another thing in a, in a world of instant gratification that these kids live in. There are so many kids that it would be more important for them to be on the VAR, as they call it, as a freshman or a sophomore, as opposed to waiting their time. Do you lose a kid? When you're at a program like yeah. North Crowley and, you know, 
okay, well, maybe it's not easy to step in as a freshman or sophomore and get everything you want, but what's really important to you, to that kid and their parents is the prestige of being on the varsity at an early age. I mean, it might be easier for them to go right down the road somewhere and be on a varsity, and then you lose that kid altogether. Um, you know, so I, I just, I wish I had the answer to it, and I'm not sure that there is an answer. Um, it may be just being reflective on your individual programs and your community and the kids and the importance level and just making those decisions on an individual basis. And then having peace at the end of it that you did your very, very best for, the, for him. Absolutely. Coaches, the one thing that every team needs is confident shooters. The last eight years at Grapevine Faith, our teams have averaged 354 made threes each season. I love getting to share with coaches how our shooters train, and more importantly, how they think. If you would like to enhance your shooting culture at your school, contact me directly at jamodipodcast at gmail.com. I know you have 30 or 40 years left in you, so you're, you're not by the, at the end, but well, if you could go back and start over again, what's one thing you would do differently? Um, you know, I think if I could, it would be to have figured out the whole viewing things through a parent's eyes a little bit earlier in my career and not think that my way was the only way or, you know, have that mentality of if they want to come take my job and they can, you know, that has been the biggest change for me over the years. And just being able to look at every decision that I make through a parent's eyes and understanding that I make programs for, I make decisions for a program, for a team, for the success of a group of people, but they have one person yeah. that they're concerned about and that's their child and the success of their child. And not that that should drive the decisions that I make, but to understand that and to be compassionate with that. And, you know, I think if I would have learned that in an, you know, at an earlier age, it would have helped me in so many areas. And my parent meeting now is basically getting the parents together and say, you know what, you're going to have to decide whether you trust us or not, that we care about your kids. I could sit up here and talk about all the do's and the don'ts. And if, if they break this rule, here's going to be the consequences, or you can trust me. And until you feel like that you can really trust the kind of person I am and where my heart is and that I truly care about your kids, but I also have to make some very tough decisions for a program, until you can, just pick up the phone and call me. Because I would rather you at least have my answer than come up with the answer on your own and it may not be accurate. So you can call me anytime about anything and, you know, we can we can set up a time to talk about it and I can give you the answers, um, you know, that I have. For you and and you know Matt, I'm also not afraid to to even tell a parent. You know what? I just don't know. Or you know what? I may have I may have messed up there, but here's where I was going with it. And I think them seeing that human side and that you truly care and hopefully understanding that um, you know that that you are making program based decisions and you can't make decisions that are best for kids, but yet. You are taking the individual needs of every single kid in their situation as, you know, serious as you possibly can. Um, I think that would have helped me a ton at an earlier age. What a great reminder to be transparent 
with with families and with kids. And I think so many coaches, myself included, sometimes are terrified to let people know that we just don't know. We just don't have the answers. And man, especially maybe when you're younger, but uh, to a great reminder to allow ourselves, I mean, with the idea of we are constantly trying uh, to learn and get better and to do our very, very best. And all those things that you took that you, you take into account when you're making those decisions. But I think that's freeing for me to hear from you that it's okay to have those types of conversations with parents. And I think it really just boils down, Matt, into two, two things that I really, really believe in. And that's value that everybody associated with your program, even the parents, you know, just the recognition of, man, I know that you're having to get these kids up here to practice and Saturdays and the sacrifices that as parents that you're having to make, the money that you're coming out of pocket to play throughout the spring and the summer and, you know, the different things to provide for your kids. I mean, just that recognition and their value in the success of your program is important. And the other thing is trust. And, you know, I start each of my parent meetings off with this. I've, you know, many clinics I've started off with this and it's just taking a basketball shoulder height and just dropping it. And it'll bounce once and then it'll bounce again a little bit lower and bounce again a little bit lower and eventually stop bouncing. And, you know, the, the point to that is, is that one day that basketball is gonna stop bouncing for every one of us uh, as coaches, as players. And when it stops bouncing, What's important to me is what your child has received from being a part of our program. Coach, I think so many, so many of us coaches have heard you speak at clinics, watched your teams play. So we feel like we know you a little bit, but the speed round will allow us to really get to know you, Coach. So quick questions. First thing that pops in your head. You ready? I'm ready. Favorite ice cream flavor? Bluebell vanilla. Nice, solid. For high school, shot clock or no shot clock? Oh, Matt, I am huge shot clock right now. I'm pushing it with the UIL. I'm doing everything I can. Uh, man, this can't be a speed question. It can't be because <laughs> so many people think that I'm pushing or we're pushing for a shot clock because of our athleticism and the kids that we have, and we're trying to speed up the game. A shot clock does not speed up the game. It regulates the game, and it makes us all better as coaches, and it makes them better as players. You don't want any kid on your program that's just a screener and rebounder, and that's all he can do with the ball in his hands with four seconds left on the shot clock in the biggest game. So you better develop every single one of them. And if I want to speed you up, to create more possessions, I don't need a shot clock to do it. It's right. not about that. It's going to elevate the game in the state of Texas. And again, just whether it's a inter post game interview or whether it's a shot clock or whatever, the more that we can emulate where they would like to be with our game, the better off our game is going to be. So, how many states? Clock, how many states have it right now? Nine. Nine. Yep. And having Nine. success with it. I mean, it's working. Oh, having everybody having success with it and you know wouldn't go back and everything else and i'm working with the uil the best i can i'm trying to get tabc involved uh, there's just right now too many coaches out there that thinks it's being pushed upon them by coaches with athletes and they don't see the bigger picture but i mean i've got letters from usa basketball uh, from FIBA basketball from college coaches everybody talking about how much better for the game that it is to play with a shot clock.
what what's a good what what's the best argument you've heard for no shot clock? None. <laughs> You're getting away from the speed round. Let's get back. To okay, the, okay. I mean, but, really, there's 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 yeah. not. Um, okay. You know, I mean, I've heard it all. I've heard yeah. money. I've heard um, you know playoffs and you know every clock's not I mean every gym that you're going to try to find you know when you're trying to find playoff games isn't going to have it and small kind of week one-time yeah. expense versus an everyday expense and officials that can't call it and you know I mean I've heard it all um and you know the, I think the main one was that the NFHS um did not approve it well now the NFHS has not said that you have to play with a shot clock but now they've backed off of that and said every state can adopt it if they want to. So that takes that excuse off. Yeah. Well, all right, back to it, but that's great. Texting or talking, talking favorite holiday. Christmas followed closely by Thanksgiving. I love the (laughs) favorite NBA coach of all time. Oh, wow. Um, Or, or favorite coach of all time. I'll go. Favorite coach of all time? Really, Mike Krzyzewski. And I was able to attend one of his practices and just the respect that that man has of his players and coaches and just the awe of being in that gym. Probably many NBA coaches that I that I have loved, um, you know, just from the way that they carry themselves. I mean, those guys have had so many experiences and everything else. But, you know, the ones that you can just tell – um, are passionate about it and and are doing it even at that level for the right reasons are the ones that I enjoy the most. If you could travel back in time, what period would you go to? Right where we're at. I don't know that I would travel back in time. Nice. Um, but going back to one of your early or questions, how about just a couple of decades ago when I'm first becoming a head coach and being able to know what I know now and being able to change a little bit of that um, to to hopefully uh, make my progression in this profession uh, a little bit quicker. Awesome. Invisibility or super strength? Uh, Let's go with super strength. Okay, two more. Okay. How many cups of coffee do you drink per day? Yeah, but that's a bad question if I'm if I'm sitting here talking to others because mine is unhealthy, probably about 14. And to be honest with you, it's 7 o'clock at night, and I've got one just off screen here to my right. That is awesome. No, it's that's, not. That's I, but, but the, awesome about the that. The honesty is awesome, Coach. Okay. Like, <laughs> I told yeah, you, you I was going to just be just you straight win. with you with everything. Yeah, you win. As far as the most amount of cups of coffee, but you know, one of the things that Wes Watson taught me uh, when I was an assistant for him was like, man, if you want to, want to be a head coach, you drink your coffee black. So, coach, how, how do you drink it? Straight black. There he is. Nothing uh, in it. So, Wes, Wes was was telling you right. <laughs> Last one. Sure. Godfather or Star Wars? Ooh, I absolutely love the Godfather movies. Uh, I nothing against Star Wars, and I've seen them all. Uh, you know, even yeah. the trilogies that that came afterwards but uh i I just really like the godfather movies i I think i said earlier you know that i had the opportunity to go down to australia and it was the longest flight that i've ever (laughs) taken in my life and i watched the godfathers all the way through start to finish coach i I just want to first say thank you for for giving up your time and talking hoops with me and and just so you know i i know that i'm not alone there are a lot of coaches out there 
you know, my age or around me that we look up to you. And, <laughs> and, and I, I mean that. And, and to and just to get to talk with you and just to hear and, and learn more about you and just how see how you're the real deal and how you're doing things the right way and how you're it was inspiring for me. So I'm really appreciative of your time. Well, Matt, I appreciate you saying that. And you know, there have been so many incredible coaches over the years that have helped just kind of mold me in this profession. So anything that I can do uh, talking about it, that's that's why I try to be just as genuine as I possibly can. And just to, I mean, I enjoy it. When people ask me, um, you know, coach, can I call you on this? Or can, can, I, can you send me that? I'm always on board with it. And I say, as long as you don't mind me asking questions and me trying to get better too, because I think we all have very, very valuable experiences that we've had. And if you just get locked into just North Crowley or just, you know, whatever it is that you're doing at the moment, you're missing so many opportunities to learn in this profession and get better and grow um, in the profession. So I appreciate you having me. Thank you for checking out today's episode. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, share it with your fellow coaches, and find us on social media for what's coming up next on the Jamoti Podcast. It's just a matter of doing it.